4, and we will begin with verse 1. So please read along with me on the screen or um, just follow along with that or the few Bibles that you might have with you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word, and may we bow in prayer. Lord, these words are definitely a call to us and a directive to us as well for how we are to come together as one body. We all have things to do. We all have roles to play. And one of the things that we need to do is always be growing in our faith so that we don't just stand still with the beginning knowledge of you and uh, the beginnings of the infancy of our, our faith, but to grow in maturity so that we come to know and love you better and understand just what it is you have for us to do in this world. And so, Lord, we, we read these words, and we know that Pastor Mike will unpack them even further as he teaches this morning. And we just pray that our hearts are open to receive these words that you have given to him to share for the message, and that we will take these words and live them out in everything that we do as we um, just become better and stronger and more mature in our faith. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So glad to be with you again this Sunday morning. I want to thank uh, 
Byron Thompson and some of the guys from Lovely Lane to joining the men in our choir, huh? Give them a hand for that. That was wonderful. It was wonderful. I'm, some of you may remember Byron was uh, the music director here for a number of years uh, a while back, and I'm sure there's some narrative about that in the bulletin. I uh, want to remind you of what Vicky said a few moments ago. We, we, we're, we're, we're selling t-shirts, not because we love t-shirts, but because we want to proclaim we're a church on the move. I'm part of a denomination, as are you, that for 49 years it's existed, and 42 of those years it's been shrinking. That is not our inclination, that's not our interest in Marion United Methodist Church, so we are going to encourage you to get some of these cool t-shirts that say we're on the move, not just because we're moving into a building built with equipment like that, though we are, but if we just take the stuff that we have here and the people we have here and move from here to there, all we've done is gotten a new house. We haven't grown the community of faith at all, and our job is to grow as Christ desires us to grow. So I hope that you'll get that we're on the move, not only from here to there at the 5050 REC Drive, though we are, we also are on the move after pursuing God and Christ's spirit, which I, I love that hymn we sang at the beginning. You're grateful to have the choir up here because it's a little bit musically hard. You should have heard what they did to it at 745. <laughs> they were praying. They were so grateful there was only four verses. But 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 I hope if you drift off, rather than go to sleep when I'm when I'm speaking this morning, that that you'll drift back to that hymn and look at those words and say, "Well, Pastor Mike should have just read those. That'd have been the sermon for today, because Christianity's always been a group that's supposed to be on the move. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be. I love that line where it says, "In city, mine, or slum." What that what that's saying is there's people without Christ. Everywhere, Transamerica, Rockwell, Quaker, the school system, wherever it is that you work, the trades, and we're to be about winning them to Christ. So, um, let's get about that business. Uh, Today, simplistic sermon, straight down the middle of the plate. Last week, we spent a lot of time defining the the Holy Trinity as a community. Uh, of God, that God is, is one in community. Today, we want to look at uh, one of the great elements of the church, one of the sacraments of the church, and go into what it calls us in the midst of this. And hopefully, I pray that the words that I'm speaking and preaching come and, and get into the crevices of your soul where you're aching right now and you're celebrating right now and push you forward. This morning, we talk about Holy Communion is a sharing in the Holy it's a sharing in the holy. It's to be at one with the holy God. And we celebrate here at this kneeling rail in these specific elements, a celebration of the holy us, reminding ourselves that Christ died for us, the corporate, the universal us. And every single person that ever was, is, and is going to be has a seat offered to them at this holy table. They will not all look like us. As a matter of fact, Most of the Christians in the world do not have the color of skin that most of us here have today. They will not all speak like us. As a matter of fact, most Christians in the world today do not speak English as their first language. And everyone has a seat at this table. And so as a minority, we should say, even us. Praise the Lord. Even us. We celebrate a holy us and we celebrate a holy oneness. 
There is oneness in the body of Christ. When, when the Lord talks about communion, he talks about one loaf. There's one loaf, even though we'll be all grabbing individual pieces of bread later on if you are, are so moved to come forward at community, that that one loaf means that God is one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are a community of oneness. And in we hold one loaf, it reminds us that there's unity in the community of faith around God's oneness, that, that we won't all see with the same eye, but we all have the same purpose, which is winning the soul for Christ and turning people to be inclined to looking at Jesus. And when we say that we have one loaf, when, when Christ tells us there is one loaf, it means that there's unity in our calling. It says right in the scripture, we are to live a life worthy of our calling. We're called to the one hope that comes from God, and we're to build up the body of Christ. Do you hear that? It gets so annoying to me. As United Methodist pastors, when I hear that, oh, those churches are in conflict, how can you be in conflict when your goal is to build up the body of Christ, to be in one? Will you disagree? Of course. Will you have different thoughts? Of course. But the one loaf means that we all have one focal point, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're to celebrate a holy us and a holy oneness, and here's the beauty of us individuals. We celebrate a holy you. I mean you. This, this communion that we take in a few moments time after this, the service and a song is specifically for you. You know, when you read the, the liturgy and it says, Jesus, Jesus says, this is for you. You need to insert your name there. So when I take it, this is for Mike. This is for Vicky. And go through it all. It, it's for, for you specifically. You individually. You know this. That this is for your forgiveness, not just a blanket, hey, you're forgiven of all your sins. You're forgiven of your specific sins. That's the part that terrifies me about God. I'd rather just, he forgive me all at once. Because there's some yucky muck in there. But he doesn't. He forgives me one sin at a time. He says, I got you all, Mike. That's what he says to you. He, he forgives your sins individually. Not just corporately at all at once. We're to celebrate a holy you here. It's your empowering, your second or 5,658th chance, whatever it is you need. We kneel down. That's what we do. So, on the last night of his life, our Lord Jesus took a common loaf of bread, common to his day. This is common to ours and to our culture. And he broke it. And then he offered it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This bread represents my body. And just as you see this bread broken, you'll see my body broken in front of you. And every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Now, I think it was way less liturgical when Jesus did it. In my house, when we break the bread, we pass everything to the left. Maybe you pass across the table. Maybe you pass to the right. But, but when we do things in our, in our home, we always pass to the left. I don't know. It's probably some tradition we picked up from some grandma somewhere. I don't know. But, but what Christ says, this is your tradition. You're one in this one loaf. And every time you're together, and every time you eat bread, remember me. Because you are one. There is this holy us about us. And after everybody, his disciples, had eaten plenty, as the scriptures say, 
Then the the Lord raised the cup, gave thanks to his Father in heaven, and then said, drink from this, all of you. For in this cup is the wine which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. And this is the part that's for you. The bread's for us. But the cup is for you. Specifically. Individually. And so every time you drink the wine, you can literally taste in the sweetness of that juice the beauty of having new life in Christ. Praise the Lord. There is, in the scripture we read today, and in the Godhead himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this celebration of the holy us, this common oneness, and the celebration of you. Now, you're, some of you are thinking, my gosh, that's the shortest communion sermon I've ever heard. But you are incorrect. There's more. And I fear this. I fear this. This morning and many times when I stand in this room or the other room and preach. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live years ago. Billy Crystal was in it, famous comedian. And he and one of his buddies would talk through all the things that they should do in their life. We should do this. We should do this. We should do this. It's the right thing. It's the best thing to do. And then at the end, they'd always say this, regardless of the topic. They, at the end of it, they would always say, oh, who am I kidding? That's another thing I'm never going to do. Everything you're going to receive in just a few moments' time and the things you just received, you've all heard before. I don't even bring anything new. I'm not trying to. I'm going to stand on the universal truths of God. But I fear desperately when I stand in this place that you hear these words, some of them well-crafted, some of them just mic, and you say, ah, that's a good idea. But deep down, deep down, you're saying, ah, who am I kidding? That's another thing I'm never going to do. I pray against that feeling. That is the call of the world, the call of gravity to you. But here, I believe, is what God brings us in the Scriptures. God needs a holy us for his community. Back in the day, some of you that remember Marion years ago, there was a roller skating rink in East Marion on 35th Street. It's now, uh, they make uh, trusses there, Revoswell trusses. Well, it was kind of fun when you go on a Saturday afternoon. That's when the junior high kids of my age collected out there, both from Linmar and Marion. We'd all go out there. And of course, you know, like junior high people are, you know, likely to do, we'd kind of look at each other, see who was there and see who we wanted to avoid and see who we wanted to be with, see who we wanted to kind of bump to tell them we liked them a little bit on the roller rink. And you, you ran lots of laps around that roller rink, but at the, at the one end, they had these signs. They were lighted in the back. They, they were lit. They had big lights and the, whoever was in charge would speak into the microphone and, you know, you'd be out there skating all of a, all of a sudden the light would say on the said moonlight dance which meant the really good skaters they were going to turn it down that disco ball and the you know rex glasgow and those guys were going to skate backwards with a girl and i'm like well i'm going to sit over here at the side we'll go get a popsicle or something like that and then after that they would they would announce you know when you're in seventh grade then the light would come on and say now couple skate and you know the kids were going steady remember those days going steady with someone they'd go out there and they'd hold hands because you know their parents were somewhere else 
and skate around in a circle. And those of us that were too shy to date girls or just really didn't want any part of all that yet or couldn't skate enough, well enough, or didn't want to skate with a girl that might have been a more efficient skater than us and have our little junior high psyche broken, would stand off the side, but then they had one sign, and it was the one that was on most of the time. But after these little moonlight skates, these little couple skate, the big sign would come on that said, all skate, all skate, which meant everybody Run in circles around the floor. You can do your hip checks. You can still skate with your girlfriend in your hand, but make sure somebody's going to come up and flick you behind. But the point of it was, everybody on the rink. Everybody was available to go out there. And if you were willing to make yourself available to that, you could skate. Now, I tell you that, not because I was a great skater, not because I want to ruminate the great things of my past, but to tell you that with that idea of everyone, all skate, is this enormous responsibility that comes to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This enormous responsibility that comes to us to live a life worthy of our calling, to make and seek to make disciples of all people. There's this action required, because I know when they would call all skate, you didn't skate if you sat. You had to get up. You had to start moving your own legs. You had to go from side to side or however it was. But God gives us individual gifts that allow us to get up on the great skate floor of life in making disciples of Jesus Christ. And some of us say, but I can't. My condition prevents me. I'm not talking about the fact you can't skate now. Your condition is usually your best excuse. You say, well, I've made too many mistakes in my life. No kidding. I have such a wealth of sin in my life. I, I, I have all this insecurity about being able to share my faith. I'm not telling you to tell other people my faith, but to share your own faith. I, I have such insecurity about just telling the good things God has, has done. I want to tell you this. Your insecurity will not destroy your witness and the value of your witness to the community. You can be all the insecure you want. You can feel all the, 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 the pushing back that you want about your witness, but no testimony, no testimony goes without God's power. And if we give no testimony, if we never share our faith with anyone, We're going to have the death of our community. See, I want to tell you this. There's no testimony if the broken and the flawed don't give their testimony. If we're waiting for people that are perfect to give their testimony, to come up here or come up here and give their testimony, you people are never going to hear anything. Because if they made a church for the perfect, how many of you could come? Not me. I mean, there's a lot of people that think we're the church of the perfect, but we're the church of the broken and the flawed coming in here for some mending. And God wants the broken and the flawed to tell the good things God is doing for you. Will you fail sometimes in the future? I suspect so. That's us. That's the draw of our human lives. But can the flawed testimony be beautiful to the the seeking heart? Oh my. That's how I was one to Christ. Was it not you too? Whoever gave your testimony that brought you here finally or that nurtured you day by day, were not their feet made of clay like all the rest of humanity everywhere? But we're all given these gifts. 
Scripture tells us that. We're all given gifts to build up the church, which means we're all called into active service. Now, the Scripture in, in Ephesians, you say, well, Vicki read that, and it just said pastors, evangelists, prophets, what? and you say, well, that tri- checks me out. Uh, let me tell you this. I have some uh, knowledge of Scripture. Lucky for you. And there's various lists in different parts of Scripture of gifts. There's a bunch of different lists of the gifts that God gives us. So Paul was writing an image here, which says that all the gifts that there ever will be and all the gifts that there are, are given to you for the purpose of making them active, of of giving them to others. Because gifts have no purpose if they're not used. But gifts' value come from who made them. You know, you can go to a a factory and buy a violin, and it's a violin, and it's pretty good, but it's worth, I don't know, violins, let's say $100. But it's a violin, same number of strings. All the people who, all the people who have kids in orchestra just sneered at me. $100. $100, the case costs more than that. But, 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 but they cost a lot, but a little in relation to this. They have four strings. They have a, 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 a stem. They have all the pieces of violin. But then if you picked up a, 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 a Stradivarius violin that's made with all the same parts, the value is incredibly different because of who made it. The gifts that you have, I contend, and Scripture, uh, I agree with Scripture, Scripture tells us that the gifts you have are given their value by God. They're, they're given their value by God. Therefore, they're of immense value. And if you don't use them, then we're denying that which is in us that comes from God. So God needs a holy us to form his community. And I want to tell you, this is cute. Watch what I do here. Us includes you. I'm you. I'm really sorry about that. I, I really am. I don't don't really usually do those kind of things. There is this thing. Yeah, there you go. I really am. I mean that. I try not to be too cute very often. But I work with youth, so sometimes it just flows out. There's a theory in organizational dynamics called the 80-20 rule. Do you know this theory, this organizational rule? The 80-20 rule? I just want to make sure that you know, as Marian Methodists, that won't work for us right now. I actually don't think it's ever worked right very well. The 80-20 rule is this. 20% of the people do most of the work, give most of the funding, do most of the evangelism. I believe and have believed since the moment I arrived here that our dreams are way too big for only 20% of this congregation to do all the work. If only 400 of us do all the work, then how in the world are we going to reach to a community of 40,000 and win them to Christ? 
Our dreams are way too big for this. That what God just put in front of us are way too large for just, just a few hundred of us to do this. That the consequences are too dire. If you listen to the song that you just sang, it, it means that the consequences are so large for us to work towards, towards those, in those words, city, mine, and slum, the various places that people find themselves. That the, the consequences are dire that people will not know Jesus if we keep our mouth shut. If only 20% of us tell the good things that God has done, and you all have good things that God has done for you. You could put them together in 30 seconds if you were pushed. That If we just share those things, how, how his name will be praised. 20% of us can't just do all that because 100% of us are gifted and called. Secondly, God needs a holy oneness for his community. Most of you have been to a basketball game at some time. What, what is the most important thing at a basketball game? When you're sitting there in the stands, what's the most important things? Let me tell you. For some of the people that are there, it's who wins. For a lot of the people that are there, it's the band. Because their child's in the band. Or they're in the band. Or if you're a little girl going with your dad to the basketball game, the most important thing is when it's halftime, because at halftime we get our Laffy Taffy. Depends who you are, right? If you're the high school principal, the most important thing at a basketball game is keeping that group of students away from this group of students. Amen? Educators? For some people, the basketball game, the most important thing is number 10. Because that's my kid and I don't want them to get hurt. Or, he's so dreamy. It depends who's looking at the game. What the most important thing is. But it's all the same game. It depends who you're asking what the most important thing is. Because we're all different but we're all one. Praise the Lord. We all have different viewpoints. There's differences of course that can cause division. I I knew about a church down South Carolina. had a huge division about 30 years ago. And it was about this. They were doing some remodeling in in their historic sanctuary. And the doctors and lawyers of the, of the church wanted to put a beautiful chandelier in the middle of the sanctuary to, to illuminate the whole thing. And, and so this doctor got up one night at a church meeting and everyone was gathered. And the people that wanted the chandelier were, were seated in this, seated in this side. And the people that wanted, uh, did not want the chandelier were seated in this side. And there was a, a lot of discussion, but this doctor went up and made this, but, but this is a beautiful chandelier. It's going to have long arching gold leaves on it. It's going to hang from the center. It'll be a showpiece. It'll make our church just so glorious. But this side of the congregation just wasn't buying it. They didn't really get it. It wasn't that they were uneducated. It's just that they didn't understand. So, so their leader went up here to the pulpit and said, Pastor, doctor, I appreciate your passion. I appreciate the research you've done. But I've been coming to this church for a long time. And I sit in this pew every week. And when I pick up my hymnal, I can't read the words on the page. It's too dark in here, so I don't think we need a chandelier. I don't even know how to spell a chandelier. What we need in here is more light. Sometimes we look at the same thing from different ways. Sometimes the vocabulary we use, the vernacular we use, divides us. Sometimes we see things with different eyes. It depends who 
looking at what? But what we find is there's this holy oneness, and the holy oneness is only found in the holy. Last week, you know, we gave, um, I would give 31 of these away to our second graders, a whole pile of them, which was one of the great honors of, of the pastor's life. But what we talked about to them, and I talked to you as well, that God's holy oneness is found and represented in the scriptures. And last week in the sermon, I said that the road upon which we travel into the community is here. We have this common oneness. We might read Genesis differently. We might see it differently, but we all need to read it and be together. We all might see how the word becomes flesh just a little bit differently, but we all come together in the one word. The covenant and the expectation of the community is here. It's made clear in the scriptures, the Old and New Testament. And in this is the welcoming invitation extended to the community of of, of living in God's love and in God's loving community. The scriptures say, and I've read them, the scriptures say, with all of our differences, there can be unity in this community. The community of faith. With all of our differences, we can be there. And, and there's, there's this one times seven, look, look what that Vicky read a few moments ago. One body, which is the church. One spirit, which is the Lord. One hope that says, you received when you were called. You don't, you know, sometimes we say, well, I'm hoping for the best. That's what I do when the Cowboys play. I hope for the best. That's what I do when, when my teams play. I hope for the best. But, but when we have the hope that God puts in our spirit, we have the hope that his reality will come to life here on earth. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Oneness is a huge deal to God. It's a huge deal. He keeps bringing it up over and over and over again. Some of you have, have purchased a, a, a booklet. Uh, it's a book that's... Um, one man, Eugene Peterson's his name, rewrite of the Bible. He didn't try to rewrite it. He tried to put its message in, in language that you can understand. I want to read a few of these verses from Ephesians chapter 4 from the message. It talks about God's oneness. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. Huh, that's just good advice for anybody. But for a church, it's excellent advice. So stay together both outwardly and inwardly. The thing I've seen churches get destroyed by the most, it's not what people are saying around you, but it's what we're saying about ourselves. We have something going on in the church, and I don't have a lot of experience in that, to be honest with you, because that really doesn't happen to us much here, but it can destroy us. It will destroy us. We have to be oneness, inward and outly. Because you have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Oneness does not destroy our individuality. It embraces us. God needs a holy you, a you for his community. We need to lead a life that's worthy of our calling and be in the community of faith. If you take a coal out of your charcoal briquettes and lay it on your deck, or not your deck, your patio, be bad on your deck, it will go cold. It will eventually go cold. Because coals away from the fire die. You never just light one briquette to cook a burger on. 
And a person taken out of the fellowship of the church slowly loses the heat of faith. And you can't stoke yourself because you need the community of faith. You need the Spirit of God. You need them to be stoking you all the time because we're here to build up the community of faith, to gain a deeper knowledge of God and to mature in the Lord. So many of us don't have a goal of maturing in the Lord. We just hope for the best. Well, we hope the scriptures hit us when we go to church today. We hope the pastor says something that's a little bit interesting, a little bit funny that drags into our heart and turns us a certain way. But we're called to ground ourselves in Jesus Christ, not in the opinions of the day, but to ground ourselves in the eternal word of God and use our gifts because unused gifts are worthless. Got seven toasters for my wedding. You know, back in those days, unlike kids today, we couldn't just go to Target and register and tell you people exactly what to get us. We just took what we got. So we had seven toasters, only one I can use at a time, and it, it made four slices. So we kind of had more toast slices than we needed. So we had this rack in our, in our um, uh, shelf in our closet with toasters across it. And I thought, man... Those are unused. we got to put them to use. And so then we got out the cards and figured out who gave them to us and said, all right, we just need to make sure when they get married, we don't give them back to them. You know, but... Oh, right, like I'm the only one. There was a whole Seinfeld episode on this. I'm not standing alone. But what I'm saying is unused gifts are useless. I'd have this much dust on those. I've moved five times since then. And we can't let the gifts that are our testimony sit in the closet. If you have to re-gift it, re-gift it, but we're to intentionally share our faith. We have to intentionally share our faith because a person who knows Christ wants everyone else to know him as well. And of course you say, I don't know enough. Of course you don't know enough. No one does. But that's why small groups work. That's why SGU works. That's why Emmaus works. It's that near peer learning that we really get when someone close to us. We don't need a super Christian that's nine steps in front of us on the discipleship pathway telling us what to do. Near peer relationships have always been most effective. Near peer evangelism, when you have someone that's just a step or two ahead of you on the road, it's best. But I'll tell you this, it's true. God's community will live or die at our hands. It will. How much do you love God's community? How much do you love all this? Because it's going to grow or die at our hands. It will. That's what the scripture tells us. This is an action item. So here we come. Here comes communion. When we come to Holy Communion, we celebrate the holy us. We celebrate the fact that we're embraced as a community. That Christ died for all beyond here. We celebrate the holy oneness that is ours. We celebrate that God is one and in his community we are one. And we celebrate and recommit the holy you specifically. Right here, this is the time to renew your life. To, to claim the faith that once burned bright in you and let God stoke you up to, the, to, to live a life that's worthy of the calling he gave you. And to rededicate yourself to the purpose of building the community of Christ. The body of Christ. And that's... That's what we're here for. And so in the remainder of our minutes, before we sing a benediction that was ours to sing, may we pray. God who was and is and is to come, Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy parent of every one of us here, we give you thanks for what we have just received. We thank you for the opportunity to grow ourselves. And now, Lord, as we have come, we ask that you send us away together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for years and years, when I was a child, we would end our services in this church with this course. I'd ask that you stand and sing, God be with you, uh, with our men's ensemble.